Greetings, dear listeners. Happy New Year. Thank goodness we are no longer living in that abominable, horrid 2020. Today is January 3rd, 2021. We are in the midst of some breaking news. We have Donald Trump repeating his, quote, perfect call, end quote, from Ukraine Gate, in which Donald Trump played dumb Don Corleone and tried, like a mafia boss, pressure the president of Ukraine to do him some political favors that were dishonest, immoral, and illegal. And guess what? We got the same thing going on right now with Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Donald Trump called him and with Raffensperger's counsel on the line did the same thing. Tried to threaten and pressure them to find votes to help him win the election in Georgia. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you are in luck today. I have the privilege of presenting to you an in-depth conversation I had with that same man, Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, as well as the Deputy Secretary of State, Jordan Fuchs, and Voting Implementations Manager, Gabriel Sterling. You might remember Gabriel from his viral clip after death threats started coming out against Georgia officials and contractors. And I'm going to play that viral clip for you now before I present to you my interview with these three top Georgia officials, Secretary of State Raffensperger, Deputy Secretary of State Jordan Fuchs, and Voting Implementation Manager Gabriel Sterling. Also, a brief apology to my listeners and to my guests in that I did not have the highest quality setting set with my recording software and oversight, again, for which I am apologizing, but it's still quite understandable to anyone listening. But again, apologies for that as well. But without further ado, here's the clip of Gabriel. It has all gone too far. All of it. Joe DeGeneva today asked for Chris Krebs, a patriot who ran CISA, to be shot. A 20-something tech in Gwinnett County today has death threats and a noose put out saying he should be hung for treason because he was transferring a report on batches from an EMS to a county computer so he could read it. It has to stop. Mr. President, you have not condemned these actions or this language. Senators, you have not condemned this language or these actions. This has to stop. We need you to step up, and if you're going to take a position of leadership, show some. My boss, Secretary Raffensperger, his address is out there. They have people doing caravans in front of their house. They've had people come onto their property. Trisha, his wife of 40 years, is getting sexualized threats through her cell phone. It has to stop. 
This is elections. This is the backbone of democracy. And all of you who have not said a damn word are complicit in this. I can't begin to explain the level of anger I have right now over this. And every American, every Georgian, Republican and Democrat alike should have that same level of anger. Mr. President, it looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. We're investigating. There's always a possibility. I get it. You have the rights to go through the courts. What you don't have the ability to do, and you need to step up and say this, is stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get shot. Someone's going to get killed. And it's not right. All right. Jordan Fuchs, the Deputy Secretary of State for the great state of Georgia, and Gabriel Sterling, the voting implementation manager for the same, are both here with me today. Jordan, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell me a little bit about how you started in this current position and uh, what it is. Sure. So I um, I am the Deputy Secretary of State and Chief of Staff to Brad Raffensperger, and how I who's the Secretary of State for Georgia, and he's an elected official, correct? Yeah, he's an elected official, and I ran his first state house race and then his statewide race for Secretary of State, and so. My background is in more public relations and political um, communications, and he asked me to come on board to help him uh, with this office. And so my main job is to make sure that the policies that he ran on are being implemented throughout the agency. And so his, his two big main pushes are um, obviously election security. And so we rolled out a new uh, ballot marking device that allows us to audit uh, ballots. So that was a big initiative he actually ran on. And then we also, uh, he ran on a licensing reform. So obviously our full focus has been on entirely on elections, but at some point we're, we're going to take on a li licensing reform. And for us non-initiated licensing reform, are we talking about the licensing of voting machines or, or what? So professional, professional licensing. So there are a number of professional licenses that, probably should not exist in the state of Georgia. And then there are some that just need to um, be reorganized. So that's, that's what we're working on. So right that's now. some of the non-election related Secretary of State's duties there. Absolutely. Okay. A lot of people don't know that the Secretary of State does so much more than elections, but the, the main topic that we're known for is elections. Okay. I'm, I'm one of those people who didn't know that, so you explained that to me now. So thank you. Uh, and then we have Gabriel Sterling, and I'm sure you're both famous in the state of Georgia, but before I introduce you, Mr. Sterling, I just want to say that uh, I did see your forceful denunciations of some of um, what I would call nonsense on CNN and some of the other major networks. And, um, you know, uh, I, I know you got a lot of flack for that. I know you both are. And I, I, as far as I understand, I can't find any reason to doubt that either of you are not um, – uh, or to doubt that you are two officials of integrity trying to do their job, trying to be honest, trying to be fair. And the the way that you guys have been treated by so many people to me, whether in the media or just from the public or from the White House, to me has been disgusting. And I would have to say, Gabriel, that your forceful denunciation was the best I've seen from any state official from the Republican Party at all, all year. Um, and so I want to thank you for doing that because I know that that's something that, that came at a cost for you. But you are the voting implementation manager. Please do uh, tell us what that specifically entails. No, you can just keep talking. Um, no, <laughs> I'm Gabriel Sterling, 
And I, I started off in this office, uh, sort of back into it. I was going to help out uh, Deputy Secretary Fuchs and Secretary Raffensperger on trying to hire their senior staff as part of the transition team. And so you were there before big... they came in. No, 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 I was not. And but I, but I knew Jordan. I she she actually had a role that I had previously held, and I had helped Brett. Jordan did all the big races. She she did the state house. She did the statewide. I did the very first race, which was a little bitty city council race for Secretary Raffensperger. I mean, he's been doing this now for eight years. I mean, he he's ramped up. He's done very well. And uh, when they they asked me to, to help them with their transition team. I was interviewing people, and then the, secret, the deputy secretary and secretary came to me and said, hey, can you help out? And I started off as the chief operating officer and was sort of leading the team on the um, acquisition of this new voting system. And we were, we were flailing around trying to find anybody to be a project manager. And the problem was after 2018, all the lawsuits and everything, every firm that we were looking at said, you know, we can make – half a million dollars of margin, but the the second the first lawsuit comes, which was going to come no matter what, um, we lose all that money and we and we lose our reputation and it hurts the brand. So we, we couldn't find anybody. So the the deputy secretary, our general counsel and them came to me and said, You need to be the project manager, which was the voting system implementation manager, and we'll fire somebody else to your other work. And that's and that's kinda of how I kind of sort of backed into being the implementation manager. Now, as to the speech that you're talking about, that was wildly unplanned because <laughs> I was just kind of pissed, and I just I, – I went to Jordan. Well, people were getting people. death threats at the time. This was not like just some, was just just some fun and games. Being secretary and for office, you're, you're a higher profile. I was on television. I kind of knew, you know, that's – Nobody should get any death threats. In fact, the other day I was talking to somebody who said, hey, have your death threats gotten to a normal level? I'm like, a normal level for an American is zero. So, <laughs> no, it's, it's, not, it's not at zero. Um, but the secretary still has a, a protection detail. I still have police outside my house. And it, it's crazy, but what, what the straw that broke the camel's back on this was there was a young man who was, you know, people who – are in a level of I'm making fifty thousand, fifty thousand a year, twenty thousand a year, thirty thousand a year. He got a good gig. He said, "Hey, I get to be a, a elections contractor for a voting system. I, I got a few months of work here." And he had a unique name, and he was doing normal stuff in his processing. And the Dominion project manager called me, and she was audibly shaken when she called me about this, and said. This, this young man, his family's being harassed now. He's being harassed. He had a unique name so they could find him really quickly. All he did was get a job and was trying to do a good job. And when I talked to Dominion about this, our, our voting system contract, he was one of the better contractors they had. And you know what's really impressive to me? Within a day, he didn't like go cower in a corner somewhere. He was back at work. He was still doing his job. What he did not deserve to have the death threats that went towards him and the harassment that went towards his family. And that is what kind of made me go over an edge. And when I asked for permission, which I had to, for the deputy and the secretary, they're like, you do what you do because it's the right thing to do. And that's kind of how we've all approached this job. 
and that, that's what, and before I get back to both of you and your relationship with, with Secretary of State Raffensperger, uh, it bothers me so much that, that your statement was extraordinary because these type of threats have been happening all over the, uh, the country. And a big theme of the protests this summer, whatever side you were on or however you thought about them, uh, was silence is complicity. And when you look at the, there was such a huge gap, and I want to revisit this later, but there's such a huge gap at this point, and I'm saying this, I'll admit that I'm a Democrat, but this is how I'm seeing it, and I know a lot of other Republicans are seeing it this way too. There's the national level Republican Party, Congress and the White House, and there's the state and local level Republicans. And the state and local level Republicans are doing so much more to stand up for truth and justice and not having death threats. And I didn't hear Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, I didn't hear many Republican senators come out and say, this is terrible that this young contractor is being threatened. I back up everything that Gabe Sterling said. If anything, there have been attacks against you coming from the national level party. It was almost as if these two U.S. senators didn't even read what occurred, because if you look at their response, they immediately came out and said, well, we get death threats too. This is normal. Well, this kid didn't run for U.S. Senate. He didn't run for Secretary of State. He didn't take a a job that's high profile. He took a job on contract to, to do what he did just to, to put food on his table. And, you know, these two U.S. senators seem a little tone deaf to the environment that is actually going on on the ground. There are folks who are threatening election officials through hanging, through shooting squads, um, we got a bomb threat in Fulton County the other day. So it's it's a little infuriating for me to hear, well, y'all deserve these these threats. Well actually no what first of all nobody does, but especially people who, you know, they just took a job. They just they don't deserve this. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like running for senator you ask for it, but there's a level of at the very top levels of the national spectrum where some of that comes with the territory and you don't deserve it, but you, but local level election officials and contractors. But even, but, even I, but even I said, I was on television. I was talking about election. Guess what? You're going to get those kind of things. But like, like Jordan just said, no regular American expects to wake up in the morning and have something in their email going, we have your address, sleep with one eye, with an eye open. <laughs> and that's, that's what I've had to deal with. And that's what the secretary said. Deal. The secretary's wife got sexualized, violent threats over her personal cell phone. She did. Yes, she married somebody who ran for him. None of none of that's right. You know, it's all un-American. And the unfortunate situation we have right now is we have a president who will be president for 21 more days, I suppose, is telling people that this has all been a steal, it's all been a scam, and. Everybody, every American has to deal with that, and there are people who want to believe them. And they're my own family members I've, I've had to argue with. That is, this isn't a stolen election. This is a, a person who lost, and it's not that hard to see that he lost. I mean 20,000 Georgians just said, you know what? I'm going to skip the presidential. That's not normal. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to vote for either one of these two sons of people. <laughs> they just skipped it. And and that's that's more than the margin. Then you had in eight counties, um, in, in Metro Atlanta and the, the two counties around um, 
University of Georgia, Athens, Clark County, and Oconee County, where Senator David Perdue got 19,000 more votes than the President of the United States. That's not normal. You had every incumbent um, state House member. We have 102, 103, I think, incumbent state House members that got more votes than than the president, other than nine of them. So like 94 of them got more votes than the president. That's not normal. But guess what? The president is in a situation where he has people who love him and would die on a hill for him and people who would just kill anybody around him to make him lose. He's a polarizing figure. He's the most polarizing figure in all of our lifetimes. And that's what's so fascinating in terms of how polarizing he is because, as you pointed out, there is something of a split at the top. There were Republicans, lifelong Republicans, or even people who just lean conservative, who voted for their senators and their congressmen as Republicans and voted for the Republican candidates, which is normal. But then there's that disconnect where you look at the percentages. It's just there. It's obvious. Some of them did not support Trump, and they voted for Biden. So it, the idea that, that there would be – this is what's been so fascinating to me, that there would be a rigged election – in which some of the Republicans would be favored, but then not the president. I mean, that's that's a level of sophistication that I'm not quite sure how how that comes about. Well, I I think what what we've been consistently saying is that, especially after hours, we're saying that this wasn't a rejection of conservatism or Republican politics. This is a rejection from the top end of the ticket. And so that's how something like this could happen, where you see a number of people, in fact, it's one out of five Georgians, Republican Georgians, who um, did not vote for the president. But yet many of our local representatives and state senators who are Republican, uh, you know, they were reelected and they carried their districts in higher margins than Trump, uh, Trump yeah. did in their similar areas. So. Um, it is interesting to see. Uh, I, I doubt we'll see something like this again for a while. Maybe. I don't know. One never knows. But to get specific numbers to what Jordan is saying, 53% of um, uh, the vote for state Senate went to Republican. 51.5% for the state House went to Republican. This is not a blue state. This is a, this is a red state that said we kind of think the president's sort of jerky sometimes. And we're not going to deal with it anymore. And that's how that came about. And what's so funny about all, this is you would think that Trump supporters, they, they know that he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. The idea that they would be shocked that he might turn some people off because of the way he does things should be something that they're quite aware of. And, and let's be fair. I voted for the president. Uh, he, he rubs me the wrong way, but the, the, the policy positions that came out of this, the, the Supreme Court nominations, the tax cuts, the deregulation are things that I've spent the last 30 years of my life fighting for. So you kind of pinch your nose and deal with the fact that, yes, he can be kind of an asshat sometimes, but you deal with that. But now the thing that comes down from that, anything that undermines the small r Republican institutions, the idea that somebody's going to get up and argue that the state legislatures should ignore the voters and sit new electors, or somebody's going to be a congressman and get up and say, I'm going to object to my electors, even though I have no evidence <laughs> to do it. 
and try to switch that. The small R, the Republican institutions, the free press, the judicial branch, of which there have been, I think it's 58 or 60 cases been brought before them. They've thrown them all out, and that's the president's specific um, lawyers. On top of that, another 30 or so cases of random people trying to throw out the election. And the president continues to undermine them. And in a simple, straightforward way, what was it, Jordan? Two nights ago, the president of the United States did a tweet that said that our boss, Secretary Ravensburger, had a brother named Ron who works for Huawei, owned by the communist Chinese, <laughs> which is provably, repeatedly oh been shown as well, fake and false. Well, this comes down to a number of Republicans who are business-minded, who read the newspaper, who understand facts. They expect leaders to also feed facts to the public. And we have congressmen who are misquoting things and outright retweeting this information. And then you have the president of the United States who just nine months ago was telling folks to drink bleach. And the Republicans who put him in office, they're saying, huh, this isn't quite what we asked for. And it's important to point out, and, and but this is what I want to do is to talk about this a bit before we get to the details of how elections work in Georgia. But you both are not lifelong Democrats. You're not independents who have leaned left or leaned right. You both have been working in Republican politics for years. You both helped Brad Raffensperger get to the point where he is now, and he decided you did such a good job that he brought you on to fill important positions in his administration. Let, let, let me let me line it out for you. I was nine years old and wanted Ronald Reagan to, be, to beat okay. um, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> I first met Jordan Fuchs, who's on the who's on the podcast with us right now, when she was 15 at a Republican convention. It was the first time I met her. I mean, we are. I am a lifelong Republican. I'm I'm not beyond, I'm beyond a lifelong Republican. I'm like hardcore everything you could possibly think of Republican, and it defines. If you go to my Facebook page and my friends, and one of the first things they most say is, yeah, he's a conservative Republican guy. That That is what I – Well, that's what your Twitter – I think the first word is conservative, period. I think, yeah, I think you're I'm right. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, and Jordan, Jordan, like I said, the first time I met her was at a Republican convention. And when, when was that? Fifteen years ago? Yes, it was 15 years ago. So I thank you, Gabe, to, for everybody who can now do math. I'm 30. And so – Oh yeah, that's, well, I, I, you're 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 the young in here then, that's for sure. But I, I so um, you know, I've I've been involved, and I'm one of the few uh, former political consultants who have only worked for Republicans. Um, I, Gabe, I don't know if you can say that, but I I, I definitely can. And so it's interesting to watch us all kind of be thrown under the bus, called communists socialist or whatever the the word or that you weren't in some conspiracy to to have republicans lose exactly oh but it was a very sophisticated one where they lost the presidency but won everything else in the state that's how that's that's how good it was that's how good the democrats are at conspiracies (laughs) uh that's actually probably true um because we're not good at them we we don't even try we're so bad uh but what was the old line from uh, Will Rogers? I'm not part of an organized party. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> Something like that. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's it's just it's you know I do have to thank you guys because you talked about smart R Republican for our listeners. That means we're talking about our 
democratic republic, our structure of government being a democracy, a representative democracy. And the thing is, every citizen and every official ultimately has to put the small r Republican institutions and values, the values that make our system what it is, that mean we are a democracy, that respects human rights and the rule of law. You always have to put that before partisanship. That means you don't cheat. That means you don't break the law. It means that when the law is at odds with how your party leader or party member is acting, you, say, you side with the law. And you guys have done that. When, when the majority of Republicans in, in the House of Representatives did not, they signed on to, to the least states' rights, least conservative uh, motion to hit the Supreme Court that I can think of in my lifetime, which was the, the, uh, these states, these 19 states, wanted to overturn the results of the election in the now, four states. Now, to be fair, I want, I want all those Democrats who are pissed about that to be as passionate about a state's rights in a year, <laughs> which I'm doubt is going to happen. But I'm happy they're really passionate about it right now. <laughs> well, as, as, as a Democrat, I'll just say I believe strongly in states' rights when they're not being used to infringe on the rights of others. So I, I do appreciate federalism even more now. I think, I think maybe the left has learned something about the values of federalism from this election that we might not have appreciated as much before. But, but you well, guys were – I think, I think many people now have a deeper appreciation for the rule of law. And the problem we have is – if you poll Democrats today, 55 to 65 percent, depending on the poll, still believe that votes were flipped by Russians to give Donald Trump the presidency. In 2018, J.C. Abrams is still not conceded of the race here in Georgia. In 2020, we have Donald Trump fighting the race here in Georgia. The left and the right fighting about the legitimacy of elections undermines the entire system. And makes everybody – one of my one of my really good friends um, uh, is, is left-leaning. I won't call him left. He's left-leaning. He says the reason we have ballots is so we can avoid bullying. So if we have the situation where both sides are ignoring ballots and saying they're illegitimate, the next logical step for a large swath of Americans, which is crazy to talk about, is bullets. We have to stop this crap of people saying the election – my guy lost, the election's rigged, and it happens on both sides. This time is egregious. Last time it was egregious. All of them are terrible. Guess what? You know what happens to Americans? They have different opinions and decisions than you may, and it's going to happen. So guess what? You, you dust yourself off, and you fight the next election. You don't say it's all illegitimate, and I want to have throw them all out and put people in prison. That's my favorite thing now. Yeah, throw them all out. That's not a solution yeah. either. Yeah, I, I <laughs> hold them accountable. Really, That's the solution. Now, now it's all everybody goes to prison. No, everybody didn't go to prison. Guess what? Your guy lost. <laughs> yeah, happens. yeah. Move on to the next one. <laughs> I remember talking to some of my far leftist friends in 2004 who were swore that that, that Ohio was stolen. But I, I guess what I'll point out to avoid the both sides of them because I know it has happened on both sides. I'll point out that the, I believe there was one congresswoman, maybe a few other people in the House. And there was one senator, um, there was more than one congresswoman, there was one senator who made it clear from the beginning, I think it was Barbara Boxer, um, back in 2005, I'm not trying to overturn the results of the election, but I want to talk about election integrity issues. Not the best way to do it. I wouldn't have been for that at Hold the on. time. Hold Ma on, Maxine Waters is doing what Jody Heist is talking about doing now. Maxine Waters got up and said, I object to the electoral votes of these states. And Jody Heist from Georgia is doing the same thing. Yes. 
It's but the at the same Senate thing level, happening repeatedly. Sure. The, at the Senate level, though, there was the, the only way it can actually be explored is if at least one person from both members of the both chambers. It's a, so they it, got, it's a both sides. It has to be one person, then they have to caucus yes. together. So you did I get, don't think that's going to happen in most states. Well, what happened is you had one senator from California in 2005 who said from the beginning, I'm not trying to overturn the election results, but let's talk about these issues. In this case, I'm nervous. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's just Josh Hawley. Uh, but you already it's not had, be just, yeah, it's exactly. Not be just and you had over 126 members of the House sign onto that lawsuit that was trying to overturn the results of the election in your state. So I, I do think about states' rights. Yeah. I, so I do think <laughs> both sides have got to be careful about this kind of stuff. But I would say that what's happening now is at a level that that is far beyond what happened in 2005. And I I really hope the left doesn't respond by increasing. Uh, their attacks, because what I see happening is this sort of all-out warfare where everybody is going to be treated in opposition, like the way Trump was treated in opposition. Uh, and I hope we can kind of move past Trump and the way he brought out what he brought out and just sort of have things go back. Okay. But it's what, difficult. How, how old are you? Uh, 39. Okay. A lot of this started in 1986. Now I get to be the old gray-headed guy on the podcast. It's, it's, it always starts in slices. It started with the Bork nomination. And we are now to the point where this is not my opposition. This is my enemy. And this is my you proving you're actually something. a Republican and not a Democrat. This is a good point you're making. <laughs> but this is definitely a Republican point. And this is not a Republican, but this is an American point. What we got to – what we come down to is now it is not – this is not my opposition. This is my enemy. And when my enemy does anything, it is immoral and, and a crime. And it's both sides are doing that. I mean, that's where we are. And if you look at how they turn out voters now, and I've said this, and you've, you know, I'm sure that you have probably heard a couple of the podcasts I've done. Democrats now run campaign ads saying, your life depends on us winning. I remember, I think it was 2012, there was an ad where, where the Mitt Romney wins were kicking grandma off the wheelchair down the stairs or something. Which is oh, that was, that was Paul Ryan putting him over the edge. That's beside the point. But oh. there was John Lewis in this state that said, your very life depends on this. And the issue you've come down to is that both sides have basically said, and I've said this is the worst place we can be, and this is where we are. I do not believe that if Republicans win – they're going to set Democrats on fire. I do not believe if Democrats win, they're going to set Republicans on fire. However, if you watch the campaigns, the campaigns of both sides say – Democratic campaigns say if Republicans win, they're going to set you and your family on fire. Republican campaigns say if, if um, Democrats win – I'm sorry. I'm not messing it up. You get the point. Both sides say if the other side wins, they're going to set your family on fire. That's essentially what they've come down to. Which is the most unhealthy part of a democratic republic you can get to, <laughs> and it's terrifying. I, I do I agree with how you. How do you put yourself out of that? I do agree with you. I guess where we will disagree and we can move on is I, I disagree to the, the idea that it's roughly equal on both sides, but I do agree that both sides do it, and it's unacceptable whenever it happens. So we can agree Let's on that. Let's go back to the earlier statement of an American. When somebody asked me, we can get into a rational level of death threats. An American should be at zero. Both sides should be at zero of saying if the other side yes. wins, you're going to die. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> one side doing it doesn't mean that you need to do it more either. That That's not the solution. Yes, and, that, and that's what yeah. happens. That, that is a normal human reaction, which is terrible. 
And again, I'm very sorry that you guys have been going through that. And I think one of the most important ways we can help calm some things down is to do what none of the network TV interviews I've seen have done this. Uh, and we definitely have some time because I did just learn that your your boss is going to join us at 4.15. So that's very exciting. But I would love to hear from you both. Let's look at a local election precinct on election day and also the process of them collecting paper votes. We can start first with in-person and then with mail-in votes. And just take me from the process of how a vote gets counted and how it goes up the chain of command and eventually gets certified and verified. Who's there physically along the way? Who's verifying? Because I feel like there's this mythology that there are these corrupt people in the back room slicing and dicing the votes and, and writing names in. And it's just, I, I know it doesn't happen that way. But without someone learning how the process works and how many people involved and literally how many people you would have to buy off and keep silent to flip one county even uh, or, or distort well, the let vote one you, county. Let me, ask you this, let me ask you this question. Have you ever tried to keep a secret among three people? It doesn't work very well. It's, one person usually. Imagine, imagine thousands. It's impossible. So <laughs> – the, the vast conspiracy thing, and I've, I've said this before, it's either a super villainous specter-level James Bond, Ocean's Eleven thing that happens that people can do, or there's dumbassery. If, I, if I'm given the choice between those two when it involves human beings, it's 99 times out of 100 dumbassery. And that's, that's how the world works. And can you explain the dumbassery reference? I feel like I'm missing a cultural point here. Uh, okay. Is it more likely that somebody has done something stupid or that somebody's being villainous? I usually it's more likely a human being is something yeah. doing stupid. Sure. <laughs> and you always have examples I mean, of that, but it's never enough to, to, to flip something one way or another unless you get to like a super, super razor thin margin like this but, but one called so Race in New York. About this entire, that's, that's, that's what's entirely annoying about this entire thing is there's – we're seeing the same level of normal election issues that we would see in any election. It just happens that this election is relatively close in the state of Georgia. Um, Jordan, you, you may want to go over the – we recently had the Secretary of State of Washington here who had an election that was ridiculously close, and there was no way to ever get past the idea that one half of the people are going to assume it was stolen because what what was the margin? Can you can you recall what it was? Is Jordan is still there? Oh, I'm on mute. <laughs> <laughs> that that might be why you can't hear me. So uh, yeah, she came into town and she she was pretty upbeat about um, how how effective her her counties ran her elections and I don't remember the the margin but. Um, she was very encouraging to our team, and she was like, "I've been through this rodeo and uh, several times, and y'all are going to get through this." And that was that was encouraging to to the secretary and myself. And um, so, no, Gabe, I don't remember the margin. So just just for the record, I, I remember the margin. I was trying to give you a, one of those. It was 133 votes. Well, I think right now it's 12 votes for the uncalled house race in New York. Yes, that's if I'm not exactly mistaken. And so I, I, and even then, people shouldn't default to there's something afoot. But then, yes, let's go over everything three, four times. But eleven thousand or ten thousand votes, 
even if you somehow margin manage to cut that in half, which is unheard of, you're not even close. And so I think it's useful for people to know from the, the very precinct level how those votes start getting counted, how many hands they pass through, how many eyes they pass through. So for the benefit of your, your listeners, I think we we got to start with what, what system um, do we have here in the state of Georgia? In the state of Georgia, the counties run elections. Our office does not run elections. It's, it's the counties that have the sole authority over their elections. So you have in the state of Georgia 159 different counties um, with running their their processes and their their ways of doing things on the ground and they're in control over their budgets and the and they're all independent none of them have to none of them are like they answer to their local voters but they in no way are directly controlled by your office or the governor's office or the legislature oh yeah let me let me tell you what happens when they call us with a question we say consult your county attorney that is our (laughs) go-to line and I think that's one of the geniuses of the, the the genius of the founders that does not get enough recognition is they opted for federalism within federalism within federalism. Yep. So the, sound, you, yeah, not to hurt you, but you sound like a Republican. Well, I, I believe I know we're a republic, small r, small r. But don't say okay, that out loud okay. too much. You might damage my credibility. But but, uh, uh, but thank you. I think that was meant as a compliment. It, it was absolutely meant as a compliment. So the reason why I'm pointing that out is that there is a decentralized way of running elections, and that is on purpose so that you don't have a singular source, um, say a secretary of state's office that can uh, have a hack or somebody gains control over that office and does something that people would not want. So, um, Well, it's me being devil's advocate here. What about Dominion voting machines? And if they just hack the machines... They could have changed everything, right? That's what I'm hearing from people. Okay. I'm going to in there for a second. <laughs> um, let's just do a couple of things real quick on the math around Dominion voting machines. Hugo Chavez. There were, se- there were se- the dead Venezuelan <laughs> dictator, um, which, by the way, that's Smartmatic. Smartmatic, a completely different company that would not – okay, sorry. I was going to say something inappropriate. Do you want to tell a funny story about when I was reviewing these? Oh, Please, if it prevents any of us from cursing, yeah. When we, when the secretary was elected, we knew we were going to be getting a paper-based voting system. Uh, The the law hadn't passed yet, but we were working on the RFP. And uh, Deputy Secretary Fuchs was on the RFP review committee. And one of the first things that came out was there were four potential bidders that came in. One was Dominion, which ended up winning. The other one was ESNS, which was the incumbent provider. Another one was Smartmatic in a partnership with Clear Ballot, and a fourth one was Heart InterCivic. Heart InterCivic did not make the deadline. They didn't upload their stuff in time, so they were out of the gate. They were done. So the first one of the first things that happened was they submitted their written proposals, and the deputies read over like, they're from Venezuela? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I said, you can't say that. I get it, but no. <laughs> so that, that was one of the things we saw early on. But I may have lose my where, where we were on the entire story, but but the deputy was rightfully indi- indignant of the idea of that. <laughs> Although they were scored normally and everything else, 
they happened to come in third, so they weren't even in the, in the second round of negotiations. So that was that was the smartmatic thing, and one of the more irritating, frustrating, insane things is this whole Sidney Powell Rui Giuliani thing of like, oh, it was the All Stars thing. Say again. The All Stars. The heavyweight. I don't even know. Yeah, the heavyweights, the 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 big the kraken, if you will, the two, in, the kraken, the two kraken, and fix everything, double kraken. Um, and my favorite part about that was like, that is literally a mythical creature. <laughs> it doesn't exist. So it pretty much said everything about their evidence was that they were calling it that. Yeah, that's just it. And I mean, the, the best they got were allegations and affidavits from individuals surrounded by dozens of other individuals who did not corroborate what they said. In other words, people that the judiciary correctly ruled were not credible because there were no people that corroborated their nonsensical accounts. And I think some of these people, honestly, I watched too much of that Michigan State Senate hearing. But oh, I think, did you watch the drunk girl? What's her name? Yes. Melissa the one that else get on. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Uh, <laughs> what, I, what I was able to take from that was that some of the other I, – I can't explain her, but some of the other people were just people who kind of obviously leaned right and got their kind of worldview and sources a certain way. They didn't understand how the voting system worked, how the counting process worked. They saw stuff that looked weird to them as people who were not specifically trained. They were like IT people. They were not trained as – vote verifiers or counters they were not the local officials that were there to oversee that they were just other people there for technical reasons and they looked at stuff like hmm that looks kind of fishy oh that machine jam they're recounting those votes that that must be and they don't know what they're talking about and then they're with their capacity with their limited understanding they're just saying what they think looks kind of strange but you didn't get any of this from people who were generally speaking actually election observers or with the local parties, not the Trump campaign trying to bang on their way door because people don't understand that when the Trump campaign sometimes didn't have access, it meant that with coronavirus restrictions and other things, you already had Republicans, Democrats, and independents properly proportioned uh, there and already filling up enough space and that you couldn't get too many more people in there. It's not that Republicans were being shut out. It's that Trump campaign workers trying to get in on top of Republican officials that were already there. And I think these distinctions were just not made often enough, and the discussion didn't get into That's that That's not a question they're not made often enough. It was intentionally made cloudy to make the claims seem stronger. I mean, and, and Jordan can speak to some of these too. The, the, the Trump campaign's like, you got to audit signatures, you got to audit signatures. And we literally said, fine. Give us a county where that happened. And you just did that, happened. right? Yeah, so we um, they they gave us some evidence that Cobb County did not conduct a proper signature match in the primary. Um, that was the claim, and so that allowed us – In the primary? In the primary. In the okay. November election. So we, we looked at the November election first. We reviewed a random sample of 15,000 envelopes. Um, and when I say we, it was definitely not me. My wasn't you and Gabriel personally sitting sitting no. by a fireplace and counting these, no, it was, concocting it was how to take over the world. Okay, good. Yeah, so it's it's law enforcement who are on our in in our office. They're they're investigators who are on staff. 
who are trained in this. And then we also had uh, a third party there, GBI, which is the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And so this is a, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. That's that's like the state level FBI, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you have so, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. You have law enforcement there. You have mm -hmm. official workers from the state apparatus, and the or there's, is it the county and the state both have officials there? Uh, yes, so the count the county the county the county did not have officials. It was SOS and GBI. Okay, and and as far as the parties, what representation did they have? None in the room because it's an investigation. Okay, right? so this is basically not even the political. This is yeah, just Jordan, an official tell, investigation. Tell me what happened when you went there? When you, when you went there, who else was there? And the fact that you could not go in the room. Yeah, and so uh, Mark Meadows, who's the, the chief of staff to our, our president of the United States, uh, showed up last week and he wanted to review the process. And Hey, how, how much notice did they give us about him coming down there, by the way? They gave, well... I, was he I wearing a mask? No, he was not. <laughs> Because I, I want to point I that out. He, he 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 keeps not doing it, even when he's gotten sick and he spread it to other people. I mean, this is okay. <laughs> For the record, he was not wearing a mask. Everyone, such an uh, example. That's really, great. Excuse me. So, um, he, he yeah, we we got tipped off about fifteen minutes before he arrived. Fifteen minutes before the president's chief of staff arrived. Yeah, that must have been so fun. They, it's very fun. And we let him know that he could not be in the room. In fact, I wasn't even allowed in the room. This was an official investigation. The, the political people. So it was just police, SOS, and GBI. Right. Exactly. Okay. These are not communist hacks, but these are Republican state-level officials. Uh, not all of them Republican necessarily, but you know, Georgia's been dominated by Republicans. In that, in that room, there was no Republicans or Democrats. There were literally post-certified people who have been trained sworn law enforcement officers there was not a partisan person in that room because it was this was an official law enforcement investigation and the, jordan was kept out mark meadows was kept out i think i, I think brad was in there before they started the secretary okay. might have been there before they started to say hey do a good job but nobody was let in the room this office will always follow the law and the rules and keep any kind of partisanship out of it and it's, it's not, I'm not suggesting even that these are partisan Republicans, but I guess what I'm trying to suggest is that this is a state Are you that saying has, that law enforcement officers tend to be Republicans because they kind of do? Well, sort of that, but sort of also Republican <laughs> itself. I mean, sorry, Georgia itself as a state has been dominated for a long time by Republicans. So most of the top people in this are not going to be partisan hack Republicans, but they're not going to be, you know, lefty Democrats. So I'm trying to make the point to my listeners. These are people that anything on average probably leaned right and not lean left, but they were there as professionals, as law enforcement, not as political operatives, and they were doing their job and taking it seriously. Exactly. Absolutely. And guess what they found? And they found that Cobb County had done the signature match process correctly, and they found two two envelopes that had issues. They reached out to both of those voters, and they were voters who uh, requested that particular ballot. And so. Um, I had a conversation with somebody in the White House uh, earlier this week, and they said, "How how is that possible? How did they not?" Can we identify to someone, or or you can't? If you can't, I understand. I, I don't, it's okay. Okay. But um, so this person said, you know, statistically there would be issues. Well, when you have a process in place to catch the fraud on the front end, this would be the result if that process works. So 
in the state of Georgia, we match signatures twice before a ballot is ever cast. You, you match the signature on the application before you issue that absentee ballot. And then before an absentee ballot is removed from that envelope and, and um, counted, the signature is confirmed and matched again. And so uh, we, can, we can at least say in Cobb County that process did work. And we can say that, you know, just judging from what you told me about the White House official, this really has been from the beginning a, uh, an, a series of accusations in search of evidence. I can say that, yes, that, that is absolutely what has happened through this whole situation. I mean, fr starting from what was really funny about this is it was really close on Tuesday night. We came around to Wednesday, and I've been public about this before, around, Jordan, when, when did I call you and Chris and Blake and them and say, we're having an issue because the president, given what was out there, we were, I was doing kind of internal vote counting, saying he's going to lose by about 10,000 votes. He ended up losing by about 12,000 votes. So it was kind of close. But that was on Wednesday, but they didn't yeah. know. So both both the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign didn't say a word for like, what, a week? <laughs> it was, was it a week or nine days? It, it, it didn't say anything. Week. And so Gabe and I are sitting here looking at the numbers coming out of you know, Fulton and DeKalb and Clayton County. This is on election night? Realizing this is, this is, this is days after the election. No, this is during the recounts in the audit. No, 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 no. This is the first time around. If okay. You, if you go back and look, neither campaign said a word about Georgia for days because they didn't know who was going to win. <laughs> the AP hadn't called it, and I was working with Kate Brunback. And good luck again like, this time around. I think it. you're I think you're going to go through a second round of that with these Senate races. I think they're both going to be close. Yeah, I'm sure of Yes, so the agency refused to, to go ahead and call the race. And so Gabe and I sat down and looked at what was outstanding in terms of what needed to be counted. And they were all coming from areas that were heavily 70, 80 percent Democrat areas. So it was very clear that this race was going to narrow and it was going to turn for for Biden. And, and that's so, another point I want to make is that that people were so shocked that why are the mail-in votes so overwhelmingly Democratic? Because most of the votes were already coming from Democratic areas because most Republicans voted on election day and most Democrats voted by mail. And that would be an And gee, why did that happen? If the president of the United States says, hey, members of my party, don't trust mail-in absentee ballots. <laughs> I mean, it's so shocking. It was so, yeah, it was so predictable. They tell you to do that and they do that. Well, it's like the, the SNL skit with the Jets fans saying, wait, the Jets were up three points in the first quarter. What's the, what are all these other points in the second, third, and fourth quarters? And I can bring Did that up as, as a Jets fan. From Atlanta? They yeah. Were, where they were up by 28 to 3 at the half against the, the, um, uh, the Patriots in the Super Bowl. This is really a don't rub this raw thing yeah. that hard because that's or, very difficult for us to deal with. Yeah, or the, a Knicks fan with Reggie Miller and like 12 seconds left up nine. Oh, oh, like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's so the worst. would like to go ahead and get on the call if that's okay. Oh, if, oh now he wants to get in. Great. Um, okay, so what uh, what I can do is I'll edit out this sort of onboarding part, and I'll we we him. just do, we just did sports analogies. Damn it! Come on, we got to. I'll get that. the sports analogies in. Don't worry. But uh, <laughs> then I'm gonna have to hop off. Let Brad shine. I, I can I can stand. Well, up. listen, Jordan. <laughs> as you get off, all right. So I I'm gonna edit this so it's not a mess. But 
I'm going to say this while you're okay. still on now. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate what you're doing. I know that Brad's more out in the front, but you're behind him each step of the way. You've, you've been with him for a long time. You're doing a lot of the work that he's, you know, uh, doing too, and you're supporting him. You're just sort of more behind the scenes, but we have a chance to, got to, to get to know you a bit, to learn that you are not a communist and that you are someone who takes your job <laughs> seriously. And you're a lifelong Republican who is just trying to to show that uh, these elections were fair and that sometimes your side loses and you just have to deal with that. Believe me, as a Democrat, I'm used to lots of losing elections, so uh, I understand that. And I do appreciate you coming out and sharing uh, your perspective. And again, I want to thank you for what you do, and I'm sorry about the threats against you. And now we're going to have just uh, Brad and Gabe here, correct? Good deal. Thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. Pleasure. All right. We have just been joined now by Secretary of State for the great state of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, and we are still here with Gabriel Sterling. Secretary of State Raffensperger, thank you so much for joining us. I know your time is very valuable, especially in the run-up to, to this amazing uh, historic series of Senate runoff elections, and I just want to thank you, as I mentioned before we got on. The recording here uh you know you're a public servant doing what you do uh even though you're a republican you have conducted in georgia a free and fair election you have seen the data and the evidence and you are sticking to the data and the evidence and we shouldn't have to thank people for this but you're doing it in a way where you're standing out you're taking heat from your own party you're being sent death threats and you're in the process setting an example that the national party should be ashamed of itself that it's not doing the same. So I think the whole country owes you, Jordan and Gabriel, all of you and all of the officials and volunteers and, and contractors working under you, we, we all owe you a, a debt of gratitude. And thank you so much for your time and for joining us. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, if there was one thing that you wanted to say that hasn't been, you know, the first thing you, first second thing you'd be saying if you were on CNN for five minutes. But if there was, if there was one message that you really want to get out that was a bit more in depth and a bit more nuanced to not just the people of Georgia, but for the the people in the country overall about how this election is being conducted and why there should be absolutely no serious concern about the the legitimacy of the upcoming election as well as the previous election and how you guys are approaching this to address the the many, many concerns, none of them sadly really legitimate, but the many, many concerns with the integrity of the vote, what would you say to them? And take your I time. Voters, I would let, first off, let voters know that we understand it was a close race. And we, I, I said for six months, maybe nine months coming into this race, that at the end of the day, we understood that probably half the people would be happy and the other half would be you know, unhappy with the results. We got that. But we wanted everyone to have 100% confidence in the results. And that's why we had a verifiable paper ballot trail. That's why when we knew that, knew that when we saw what happened with COVID, that people were going to vote absentee, we stood up an online portal for absentee ballot applications, which is secure. It's, you know, sec it's secure, but it's also fast and efficient. And so it really is the best of what you'd ever see in the private sector because we stood it up in less than a month. So it's pretty amazing what we accomplished to, to give people that sense of security. And so we've also been very transparent throughout the process. And whenever we had to decide, do we 
tell people this or can, you know, can they see behind the curtain? Because a lot of times what county election officials do, they don't have observers there. We said, no, you need to have observers there to make sure that people can see the process. There, it's not that the counties weren't doing anything not you know right, but there was just really so many issues and comments raised about what are they doing because people really didn't understand the the nuances, the intricacies of the election process. And a lot of times, uh, I think the best you can do is you know pull down that curtain, let people look in, and see what the process is. And so we have a very transparent process as we're counting absentee ballots today in Fulton County. Uh, it's online. Uh, you can watch the video 24-7 and see what's going on there. And I think that's a good thing. So we've been very transparent. And at the end of the day, when people ask the question, well, we said we have to do a, a first risk-limiting audit. Let's do the presidential race. We understand its national significance. We understand that people in Georgia, um, I think both sides, to be honest with you, were surprised with the results. I think Democrats couldn't believe that they caught that big fish. They've been out there, you know, going after this for years, and all of a sudden, wow, we won. What do we do with it? Was it 92 so, the last time, Bill Clinton first time? That's the last time a Democrat won Georgia, 13,842 right? votes. I happen to be the political director for George H.W. Bush. So, yes, we lost by 13,842 votes, if memory serves. I'm Another a reminder that, that Gabriel is not a, a, a Democrat, a communist, or a socialist there. Um, and, and let me go back to, 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 to echo the secretary's point on the hand tally that we did. We did, a, the law calls for an audit. He chose rather bravely to, to do the presidential race, knowing the, the significance of it. And when we did the hand tally, normally in a hand tally, we have numerous studies. We, we, we noted a Rice study, I believe, that showed normally you have one, two percent difference when a hand tally happens. In our state, for the um, Difference in ballots for hand tallying, it was 0.1053%, and for the margin, it was 0.0099%. So it absolutely, without a doubt, showed that the machines scanned and counted the ballots that were cast properly. And that There's percent, no by the way, that's, that's yeah. the discrepancy – between and, and this is a very small amount, and there's always human error. And the idea that mistakes don't equal conspiracy, I think, something is people because people will show some YouTube video that claims they found ten votes that were not properly counted. That's just something that happens in every election that is not dramatically different in most cases from one election to the next. And even if it does, those percentages are so small, they almost never as make a difference. As the secretary has pointed out, there's never been a perfect election in the history of human beings. You know why? Because they involve human beings. <laughs> that's the main thing. And that's why you have these processes, which you did openly and transparently for recounts and all that. One thing I do want to uh, ask both of you about, in the era of COVID and in the middle of a pandemic, it might be reasonable for some people who don't you know, understand the process in detail that coronavirus might somehow increase the propensity for errors and for mistakes and maybe even for uh, some malfeasance. And I just wanted to hear from you how you took into account extra preparations with the pandemic and how you were able to guard against those possible situations that, that a lot of people might suspect from the outside. Well, Secretary, do you want to handle that, that one? Yeah. COVID isn't going to make people want to cheat more or anything malfeasance, those issues. What it really 
did is people said, I don't want to show up to vote in person. And then the average age of our poll workers pre-COVID was, uh, was 72 years old. And many of those poll workers then stepped out. So we had to recruit new poll workers. And then for the June primary, we were very, uh, it was a very difficult situation and virtually unable to do have online hands-on, uh, we do online, but we could not do hands-on training with those poll workers. So the counties are really hamstrung. And so there were some struggles there, but we also realized that the political parties, both were going to be you know, really using our no excuse absentee voting that we've had in place since 2005. The challenge that we really had is that the Democrats and Republicans initially supported our idea, and then President Trump then started talking about really conflating the, between mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. And there's two different processes. On the West Coast, they, they send out ballots. Everyone gets a ballot you know, in their mailbox. In Georgia, you actually have to request an absentee ballot, and so you make that request. And that was the this case here in Maryland for me. I had to request uh, an absentee ballot as well. And, we, and, and in Georgia, we verify that signature on the application process. Then we send you your ballot. Then when the ballot comes back, then we verify that signature again. So there's actually double signature verification. There's been so much misinformation and disinformation that people thought we had done away with signature verification. No, we haven't. Well, people say that's very you know, subjective. Yes, it is. And that's why I've never liked it, but I wasn't here in 2005. I've only been here two years, and I wanted to get rid of it uh, and make go to a photo ID component. And that's what we did with our online portal in the middle of the year. So we're trying to stand up and make sure we have the security and accessibility. It's a, it's a balance that if you're going to have make the system more accessible, then you have to make sure that there's the appropriate security that goes with it. Yeah, and, and I just like to commend you for that in the sense that, you know, I mean, I'm a Democrat, so I have my beliefs. I'm not going to get into what I thought your, your your current governor did when he was secretary of state. I'll just say that in many instances. I'm going to defend he, whatever he did because you, he didn't okay. do anything wrong. Stacey okay. Abrams is full of crap, but that's just me. Well, hey, okay. <laughs> um, well, for me, I, I've seen examples. We'll leave Georgia out of it, of, of situations where Republicans and other states have used this sort of voter ID thing as a way to restrict. And what you did here was you allowed an online portal in the middle of a pandemic to have a way where people could both be more secure about verifying who they were, but to also open the process up and make it easier. And it seemed like you, as a Republican Secretary of State in Georgia, in a Southern state, you were not using your office to restrict the ability of people to vote. You were actually making it easier, even as you were adding an ID requirement and I feel like I, I hope that other people are following suit in other states or that they're looking at your example because you did seem to take some more of a more nuanced approach than I think other officials in other states have. So I think that that was very important for us to have that security of the online portal, you know, with the absentee process. And then we've had great support from many co corporations that have reached out, providing us plexiglass shields from Home Depot. All these corporations came along. Some people helped with the absentee ballot drop boxes. When we did the absentee ballot drop boxes, we did that for a couple of reasons. One is to really head off a lawsuit that was going to require us to accept absentee ballots after 7 p.m. Well, the challenge that we have is just to button up the results of that election and certify it. We don't have enough time to take ballots after 7 p.m. on Tuesday. But also, I don't believe in, I don't think that's the appropriate process anyway. I think you have to have a stop date and it's 7 p.m. But the president at the same time was running down the United States Postal Service about their reliability. And so judges 
sometimes will listen to that. We have some activist federal judges that, that listen to that. So by having the absentee ballot drop boxes, we really avoided having a lawsuit, having avoided having to accept ballots after 7 p.m., but we also put them under 24-7 video surveillance. Whereas when you put your ballot at the United States Postal Service, it's just dropping that big blue box and it's not under video surveillance. So it's actually more secure. Yeah, so I, I just think that's great that you guys approached it that way. You actually made it easier for people to vote in the middle of a pandemic. And it shows, I think, I think you would have had higher turnout either way, but you actually did take into consideration that you were in a pandemic and you did. But let, let's be fair. It wasn't a higher turnout. We had a record turnout in the primary. We had a record turnout yeah. in the general election. We're about to, you know, we've already surpassed record turnout for the runoff. This state has. So the runoff is definitely going to have more voters than the presidential oh, no, 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 no. election. It, it already has. Oh, really? I mean, the, the, yeah. big, okay. the biggest number, the biggest number before was the Saxby Shambles runoff in 2008, was 2.1 million. We're at 2.8 million today. <laughs> There's another day of, of absentee of, of, of early voting. Early voting. Plus absentee voting coming in, plus election day. We're gonna blow that out of the water. And election day was what four point nine million, right? Roughly. I uh, know. Yeah, we were, no, it was, it was five million ballots cast. Okay. Yes, four. I think it was four million nine hundred ninety-eight thousand. Yeah, uh, of people who voted for president, but twenty thousand yeah. people to skip the presidential race, which might slightly be the margin the president lost by. Yeah, and speaking to the reason of why that might have happened, uh, what do you make as people – and you, I know you touched on this a bit earlier, Gabe, but what do you make as two Republicans who have been loyal party members, activists, servants for years of not just the attacks coming from the White House against you personally, but you know, uh, uh, Gabriel and I, we can already tell we're going to disagree a bit on, on the governor, but the governor who has been – a very strong support, one of the strongest governor-level supporters of President Trump in the country, being called on to resign by a sitting president of the United States. I almost have to say a sitting president of the United States. If I say Donald Trump, I feel like it's, it's just, okay, that's what he does. It's a sitting president of the United States calling on a governor following the law in his state to resign. I don't know if I've ever heard of that, even going back to Reconstruction. Secretary? Well, I... Well, I believe that um, President Trump has also asked for my resignation also. Um, be that as it may, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, we have an election to run here on January 5th. And I, you know, I, I am a party guy, so I voted for our two Republican nominees. And we actually have a PSC uh, Public Service Commission statewide race also at the same time. So we have three seats, and I've, I vote for team. I always have. And I know, obviously, you must vote the other team. <laughs> and God bless you. But uh, I voted I, for one I, Republican, Republican in Connecticut way back in the day. I voted for Chris Shays. I think it was in the year 2000. Uh, yeah, but that was Chris it. Shays. Is he really a Republican? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love Chris Shays. Yeah. Okay. That's, sorry. That's, <laughs> yeah, and, and he, I, I actually came to D.C. to visit his office. He gave me a tour and took me on the, the Capitol subway, like the, the, the underground tram underneath the Capitol building. Everything was really nice. And – in my view, he stood up in ways that I appreciate to the Bush administration, so that willingness to be bipartisan. I, tr I try to be not a blind team down the ballot person, but I usually am these days. So not blind, but, <laughs> but I do vote so, D all the way these days. The secretary, finish up your, your thought on that. Well, I was just going to say, I'm, if you want to pin me down what I am, I'm a Ronald Reagan conservative. But I think that 
I, I think I really align with voters. I think they're craving stable, competent, effective, small government conservatives. In, in Georgia, we actually balance our budget every year, and that's a good thing. And people are looking for us to be effective. And if you look at what we've done with our office, with the limited resources we have, we've leveraged things that we had last year. We also are in charge of corporations, and no one cares about that right now. They all care about is elections. But we had 165,000 new corporations that were registered this past year. Uh, it was just a record uh, number. So we continue, especially during a pandemic. That's that's impressive. You're talking about 2019 or 2020. There's there's a lot of side gigs going on there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> all the indep- all the people lost their jobs forming their own company, I suppose. But probably, probably. But but if you really look at the total election, it wasn't a rejection of Republican conservatives, because we actually picked up seats in the in the House in the in the U.S. you know Congress, and and we we did well in our state house. We did well in our state senate here in Georgia, and so we, people are looking for for solutions that work, and, and they want government to work for themselves. And President Trump, you know, hit that raw nerve, you know, several years ago. I believe other presidents have hit that also. And uh, I think that if we're honest with people, we, we shoot straight with the truth. We're transparent with people. They'll respect you. Now, I know that people are disappointed in the results. I get it. It would have been a whole lot easier for us. My life would have been a whole lot easier if we would have been 12,000 the other way. But it wasn't. And it is what it is. But I'm called to not put my thumb on the scale to make sure we have honest and fair elections. It's it's really not complicated. And I, I honestly wish you guys were, you know, Senate Majority Leader and, and his whip or whatever. I, I mean, I think the national level <laughs> party, honestly, it, it because for me, I think there are a lot of Democrats, uh, sorry, a lot of Republicans at the local level, and probably from your perspective, it looks a bit different, who are saying, oh, liberals are just overreacting to Trump. But when you see the president you know, attack the governor and call for his resignation like this and just make all this stuff up and lie and, and spew conspiracy theories. And then you see Senate Majority Leader silent, most Republicans in the Senate are silent, 126 uh, Republican members of the House of Representatives. The U.S. House of Representatives tried to overturn you, you, you have to the ba- Supreme you Court. You have to balance it out. You have to balance it out. The president is the president. The president is also slightly narcissistic occasionally. We get that. Slightly. He did a lot of good things. You have Adam Kinzinger from Illinois, who is parroting essentially what we're saying, which is follow the law. And a lot of Republicans don't want to do that. Well, he's one of some the only them, Republicans in the House saying that, but I, I've noted him, some, and I really appreciate them, him. Yeah, some of them are, are stuck in a box right now where they're based. And if you go back, and I've, I said this to you earlier, but I'll go deeper into it now. We have a situation now where all Republicans are in deep red districts. All Democrats are in deep blue districts, and it's it. They have to run to their bases, both of them, and they and both sides say if the other side wins, they're going to set your family on fire. Not you, your family. This goes both ways, and it's terrible right now because the president is now driving the train on this, and he's basically saying. If you don't believe in me, then you'll believe in America. I'm a big R and small R Republican. And I, th- I believe the secretary – Brad, I'm going to talk for you for a second, so I apologize. You believe in America and Americans, and this, this too shall pass. We will find a way to be 
believing in America and the processes we have again is difficult right now. Both the secretary and I voted for President Trump. We wanted him to win. We cared about the things that he did. His behavior since then, I'm not going to speak to the secretary, this is me, has been inappropriate and undermined democracy itself. And if you undermine democracy, then you undermine the republic. If you undermine the republic, you undermine the country. If you undermine the country, you undermine the people in the country. So, Secretary, I didn't mean to go off on a rant for a second there, but that's no, kind of where I believe. Yeah, you know, and I just want to thank both. Look, I appreciate both of you so much because you both came out and said that. Adam Kinzinger is one of the only members of the House of Representatives who said that. Mitt Romney is one of the only members of the Senate, which is slightly increasing, but it's still a very small minority of Republicans in the Senate. Many more secretaries of state, many more Republican governors. Uh, and you, you two were really leaders in this. Georgia was getting so much attention on it. And you know, Gabriel, I, I, I want to commend you here because you, you were saying, oh, these other Republicans, they're in a box. Well, you know what? You guys are both in the same box, but you put the country first over party and you showed by your example. And, you know, I, look, I'm a Democrat. I cried in 2004. I cried a lot more in 2016. I've done a lot of research, <laughs> a lot of research, liberal tears. I, I, I provided Ben Shapiro with, with probably 100 mugs worth. Uh, but okay. I've done a lot of research. I, I, drank, I drank too much on 2016, fell asleep and woke up. and like, holy crap, you won. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> that a pleasant surprise for you. It looks a bit different for me. But I, I did a lot of research into the entire Russia situation, and we have zero evidence that the Russians did anything to, to actually change votes, whether or not they influenced people. That's a whole different discussion. But I, I view Donald Trump, once the Electoral College certified him, and the vote totals themselves, they seem legitimate. The Obama administration was there to investigate if any vote totals had been messed around with, and they did not find any evidence. So Donald Trump legitimately won that election. He was sworn in by the Electoral College. You know, I, I cried, but I put the rule of law. I did not advocate overthrowing. I did not advocate a military coup. I did not advocate invalidating the election results. I did advocate researching and going into everything that Russia did and to protect us to make sure that would never happen again. But that's not the same as challenging the election results. And what you guys did... What you And I think we have to separate – most Democrats were upset and felt that Russia influenced the election, but I don't think most Democrats, uh, certainly not at the national congressional leadership level, are saying that, that Russia changed the votes and that Trump was illegitimate because they, they didn't challenge him in 20 uh, – It's just that 60% yeah. of Democrats believe that happened. Um, so. I'll have to check on the polling on that, which I will. Yeah, and I'll, you, po you I'll post it, it in, my, in the comment section in the – or in the about yeah, section it, of the it podcast. It may be down to 52%, but it, it's a well, it's a lot. It's a lot lower than the 80, 70%, 80% uh, than the GOP right now. There's 70% of Republicans who believe that this election was stolen. You're right. Yeah. So, and you know, the Democrats have a lot of problems, but, like, I want to work on my side. I just feel like, you know, the fact that so many Republicans are attacking you and, and Secretary of State Raffensperger, I mean, you guys did what the – people are led. Right. Not not everyone is this astounding, independent, critical thinker. That's just how things are. Well, I'm very blessed and fortunate that I had a very advanced education where I really got to train on that kind of stuff. But a lot of people are led. And so they need leaders. And our leaders well, was, failed us. But you guys didn't. Brad, and well, I'm glad you actually brought that up because what I was going to, really to go to, I don't know if it's right. 
you just said because you had a great education, but I think it gets down to common sense. So I think you can, you know, quit school at 16. Did the good Lord give you common sense or not? My dad brought me up. He says, Brad, you can't read, you can't believe everything you read in the newspaper. Well, today I would say, you know, to my kids, is you can't believe everything you read on social media. Yeah, Twitter. And that's the, really the problem that we have is that we're trying to reinstill voter confidence in, in the process. But you have all these wild ruminations, fabrications. They're out there in the social media platforms. And I would have to say this to hardworking, taxpaying, church-going Americans on both sides of the aisle. But they need to come to a realization they're being played by social media charlatans. They're just trying to spin people up for their benefit. And they have an alternative agenda. And they're not telling the truth. Because what we've been very busy with is that we've just been playing rumor whack-a-mole. Every day, something pops up. First thing that popped up was probably what happened down at the State Farm Arena with that video. It was sliced and diced and shown out of context. Then we had to bring in WSB-TV. They saw the whole film and we explained to them. They got that out. Then other media got that out. So the truth got out. But meanwhile, that had been played and it's now still being played throughout social media. Also on on Fox News, I think, still, correct? Also on mainstream network news. I don't know who's who's still playing, but I do know that someone just put out a tweet, and that person had 80 million followers, that I had a brother named Ron who worked for the Chinese. I don't have a brother named Ron. Mr. Secretary, who has 80 million followers? That was you? (laughs) There's there's one person that I can think of with 80 million followers. Exactly. So here, where our office, I have fifty. I probably have forty thousand followers, and so we understand that. Well, we, there's a big megaphone out there. We don't have it, and but we just continue, you know, to be very methodical about knocking these down bit by bit. And that's all we really can do is say, here's what the facts are. Here's what the facts are, and we just believe in being open, transparent. It's, it's, it, like I said, it, there's nothing really complicated about it. The challenge that we have. Is a, we have a very small staff. We don't have a thousand people to get back and and knock down these rumors. One pops up, we knock down the other one. It, it's true, yeoman's work, but you know, but that's the problem our democracy is having is that individuals cannot compete with coordinated disinformation that turns into misinformation and is further amplified. And especially when that misinformation has a state sponsor in in the form of Russia that is hitting both the far right and Actually, the far left. It's, it's not Russia right now so much as we got from the FBI, it's Iran. It's Iran right now that is the biggest one on the death threats and amplifying the um, uh, questioning of the election. Um, well, that's according to DNI um, uh, Ratcliffe, correct? No, no, R- Russia does it, but Iran is a bigger one right now, especially on the side of really dividing people. Well, I, I will that, research that, was, that some more. I, I actually have been well, specializing a bit in that. I think it's Russia, but I will post some sources yeah, and, and you, let people see both sides. You go, you go back it. to the really deep, deep investigative thing of my Facebook page. <laughs> you, can, you can find where I, <laughs> I, my, my, I also did a Twitter out on that from from FBI on that one. And I'll, well, I know there was a happened. there was an Iranian thing where they were trying to target, I think, Black Lives Matter voters and trying to threaten them. We have outside groups that are trying to find these divisive things. And, and, and do that to all of us. And the secretary has, has gotten it worse than I have to a degree. I mean, not even to a degree. He's got people doing parades around his house, have come into his yard. He's got sexualized threats against his wife on her personal cell phone. And the, you, know, you know the day it happened? The day it started when the president made 
Kelly Leffler and David Perdue call for his resignation. The second, the day that happened, that's when the death threat started. What I want to point out is, is this is something I've very specifically written about. And if you guys are interested, I'm happy to share uh, what I've been writing about this. But uh, there's a sort of series of amplification networks where it might start off as a very artificially amplified Russian disinformation point that's picked up by certain often right wing, but also, you know, Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, they'll pick up on the same kind of stuff. Then it becomes part of the, the kind of more independent or fringe media conversation. And it goes from Breitbart and The Intercept to eventually mainstream press, but then so many other people have read it by then. And then it's just being naturally shared and amplified by normal people on social media, not even realizing where it originates. And then it gets to mm -hmm. people like the president of the United States. And this is, you know, in terms of, again, I, I'm not saying that the president... Okay, but let's be fair. The president of the United States has people around him who say, hey, by the way, this is bullcrap. He ought to have those people around him. He is choosing not to listen to them. Oh, of course. But that's from the beginning of his presidency, increasingly so. And, you know, when he's amplifying it and then it hits Fox and then it's on the far left media and, you know, then the mainstream press, the middle and the left center press is, is, is also talking about the same stuff. And then you guys are on the ground in Georgia in one state with your small teams and your small offices trying to say, no, this is it, – it's – and then they don't trust you because you're, quote-unquote, the deep state or part of some deep state conspiracy or something. I mean, it must be very frustrating. No, no, it's, it's mainly China right now. Isn't that right, Brad? Or Are you Chinese? Are you getting paid off by the Chinese communists? Well, <laughs> you know, people put out there that, you know, that um, I have a brother, Ron, who works um, – and I don't, he's not my brother – who works for the Chinese. So what do you do with that? And you know, people finally realized and enough press people said – Brad doesn't have a brother named Ron. Take you, but it's out there. The next but your brother's there, named Quentin, right? Yeah, and so they, so they don't even the, bother to get the the basic facts right. But it doesn't matter because they believe what they want to believe, and they just keep resharing it, and it becomes their reality. Right, but the the, the fact is, uh, people are looking and grasping at straws. Like the whole process when we purchased our machines from Dominion, it was a, a department. It was DLAS. It was government procurement. We had very strict rules on that. I wasn't even on the team that evaluated it. We had a, so it was an independent review, and they went through qualitative and quantitative, and that's how Dominion ended up with the contract. And the stuff is just out there. But then they, they have taken shots at the accuracy of the machines. Do that doesn't flip votes. Well, in Georgia, that's when we did the hand recount. We did the hand retally every single ballot compared it to the to the machine tally. We got the same answers virtually. Then that really put that to bed. You would have thought. Now this is but actually an people, important detail. I want yeah, to should, get should have that. should have put it to bed. <laughs> but so yeah. when you when when a ballot is counted, is there a particular can a can a ballot be counted twice or three times? Uh, if, no. if the if they well, go through and they put it through three or four times, they can do a thousand times. They can't. But if you do a hand retally, that's going to show up. So the machine, if the machine, if a if a if a ballot of a particular person is 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 machine counted more than once, it can count more than one times. But the hand recount. But the thing is, a particular person. Go ahead, Brad. What what Gabe is saying is that when it when you when you scan the ballot, it drops into a big box. If someone opened up the the box and then kept on pulling that ballot out and redoing it. 
Yes, you could, but here's what what also would be notified is we had a thousand people showed up that were you know checked in. Then we the counter on the scanner said should say there's a the BMD would say there's a thousand people that received use the BMD the ballot marking device today. Then there's also a thousand scans. There should be a thousand pieces of paper. If all of a sudden they say whoa whoa there's a thousand pieces of paper but there's 1,200 scans on this something doesn't compute. In other words, exactly. it would get found out through the checking of the process. And so it's fail-safe. But then put that aside, once you did 100% retally and said, we have 5 million ballots that were scanned on a machine, guess what? We have 5 million ballots, plus or minus a few hundred. It was very minor in the whole total scheme of things. And the numbers were virtually the same as gave, gave you that percentage. It was, well, yeah. it was less than 0.2%. And that's, that's I think, that's so important for people to understand is you may have a situation, let's say it's a sake of argument, because I don't think there's any evidence that this actually happened in Georgia or anywhere else yet that I've heard of. And I've only heard of that one example of voter fraud, I believe in Pennsylvania, where some Trump guy voted with his dead mom's thing as well. That's the only we, example. We have one here in Georgia, potentially. We haven't fully investigated it. Okay. One. Literally one. Literally, I want everyone yeah, on, everyone listening. Yeah, literally, yeah, one. Seventy-four potential felons were investigating those. We have three hundred potential double voters were investigating those. We have, um, uh, I think, right now, four hundred double voters from state to state. But none of it gets to the eleven thousand, whatever it is, for the president to change the outcome of the election. Wait, from state to state, you mean this is nationwide or this is in Georgia? In, no, Georgia. in Georgia. Okay, Georgia. You, so you voted there's several hundred irregularities that are being investigated. And you know what they're called? Normal election processes. Every election, there's never been a perfect election in the history of humankind. We have a couple of things here and there that are normal. And the, the idea that 12,000 of them will come up to change the outcome is not in the real world. And to get back I, to the I, I to the talk to you but, for a second. Sure. But, 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 but to get back to the nitty gritty no, with the with the with the ballots. So let's say someone for the sake of argument, which we have no evidence this has happened, for the sake of argument, mm -hmm. some guy wants to cheat and has a hundred ballots scanned twice. Well what happens is something well, then depends, shows here's, here's a couple of things. Does is it is it a election day ballot or is it an absentee ballot? Is let's it say it's an ballot? election day ballot. Election day ballots are done on security paper, which has a, a particular fiber in it, which we can run a laser over it and say, hey, this, this isn't normal. But we, we literally did a hand count of 5 million ballots, and it came back at 0.1053% off on the number of ballots and 0.0099%. That's why I think people need to understand is that, that even if there was something with either the, the absentee, the mail, or the, the election day ballots, A, it, there's some, someone that says how many voters were registered and how many ballots were received, how many ballots were counted. If there's a discrepancy, that's, that's there for you to be able to look into. And then literally you're hand recounting. And when you're hand recounting, you're not double counting or triple counting any votes. And, and there's, hand there's recounting a machine them. involved. It's a human being, right, Brad? Yeah, but, the point, but that's your point, is that when we did the hand recount, the numbers in over 50 of the counties, the numbers of the hand recount and also the machine count were identical. And then a couple of you know, other counties were you know, plus or minus 20 here. In fact, one in Ware County, uh, when they did it, it was 37 votes different. And there, that started another rumor. This is all normal. The difference, 
the well the thirty the, the thirty seven vote difference was actually zero point two six percent. That got reported as twenty six percent. How did that get about, reported you know, as twenty six percent? Because someone wasn't paying attention in their mathematics class in grade school, and they didn't know the difference between point two six percent and twenty six percent. It's really embarrassing. I wouldn't put out a tweet like that, and if I did, I'd take it down. But people put out stuff like that, and and so then we have to go back and whack that rumor down and, and point out it's just folks you moved you moved it over two decimal places it's real simple but by the time but you've I'm done also, that breitbart I'm, and all these other independent weirdos and russian bots and whoever have already retweeted so it exists independent yeah. of that individual account and this is misinformation and how it's spread and there's i'm not trying to only pick on republicans but i remember in the arizona primary in 2016 there was some delays in the lines and the Bernie people were screaming about voter fraud in the Arizona primary. I'm like, these are not in districts that favored Bernie, like hmm. or favored Clinton. Sorry that they that, like, this was not done in a way where the outcome actually benefits like, and it's, it's just, they had long lines. It's this stuff happens all the time. It's sometimes it's worse in some cases okay. than others, but can we get you on recording to say that long lines happen all the time because they didn't in Georgia in November of 2020 average wait time was three minutes. Uh, Secretary, I know you have to get to a, a, a call here in a couple of minutes, so let's, let's, if we can, we can try to wrap it up here in the next two Oh, minutes. sure. If there's okay. any, especially any concluding thoughts that you have, Secretary. Well, the one thing I have said to both our General Assembly and also I've said to the, Congre the Republican congressional delegation, one of the biggest headwind that we face here is actually, you know, federal legislation. It doesn't let us update, you know, our voter registration, and we're, we have all these, you know, laws that that have kept us from really making sure we have clean, accurate voter rolls. And that goes, that's why we end up with people that vote in two different states. Uh, we also cannot clean up our list 90 days outside of the election. That may have worked when they passed NVRA, but uh, 20, almost 30 years ago. Oh, but no, it was 1993, so it was a long time 94, ago. was it? But, but, yeah. but what, what people don't realize is that we have 7.6 million voters on our voter rolls. And studies show that 11% of Americans move every year. That's 800,000 Georgians that are moving every year. And when you can't update your voter rolls in 90 days, that's 25% of the year. That's 200,000. And so that's why we have some of the issues when you have people that maybe vote in two states that we have to hunt down. Did they, did they knowingly do something wrong or did they actually move it? And, and, but for that all back down to it, we have about 1,000 total potential votes. That's not actual like and in could, most of those cases probably, those aren't people trying to vote twice those are people where they just had some misunderstanding with the system well, correct well that thousand will get whittled down to some bit lower number it always does that's the total potential universe right now but that's something that we really need to work on and in fact what's really uh, five million is, votes a thousand that's 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 a very that's the public should be very confident yeah. in in the system so, where a thousand of five million votes Almost five million. Oh, that stop talking great. crazy. And well, I know that, <laughs> I, and I, I know that you don't watch uh, Fox News, but sometimes I force ago, myself. Uh, well, Congressman O. Brooks was on there on uh, the 28th, and he uh, referred to the 2005 Presidential Bipartisan Commission Report, which I've read several times. But it's about election integrity and security. But then he said, "quote For the past 15 years, Congress did nothing." And so I was talking to some congressmen. They didn't like when I said that, but they Republicans had control for two years, and they could have worked on, uh, you know, really fixing that. 
because as soon as Nancy Pelosi got control, she had HR1, which I do not support. It's a federal overreach, federal takeover of elections. And so I think that elections need to be run as they have for over 200 years at the state level. But we also need to make sure that they, we have the appropriate security, but also the appropriate, um, I guess, accessibility would be the best word. So it has to be that balance. And, you know, it's, a, it's a unfortunate that our Congress, when it was run by Republicans, did nothing on it. Because that's really some of the issues that we, the headwinds that we face here in Georgia. Well, I'm not an expert on your career, but it does seem that you have tried to strike that balance. I I think other people, this is me as a Democrat, but other people in your party, at least in the past and in other recent elections, there have been North Carolina most, most prominently, but there are other places where there were efforts to really, you know, limit the vote. And I feel like with the issue of, of federalism and state overreach, I think, sadly, for most of American history, you had states that really work to discriminate and, and, and prevent people from having equal rights. And we had a lot of legislation in the 60s that changed a lot of that. So I hope that we can get to a point where we can have less federal oversight and with states having proven that they're going to protect everybody's right to vote equally. And it seems like you're one of the few, uh, at least on the Republican side, that are making that effort. And, and I do appreciate that you made it easier to vote in Georgia, it seems, this, uh, this election cycle. Thank you. Well, uh, with that, I'm going to jump on to something else, if that's okay. Well, I really, really appreciate your time again. Seriously, um, it was an honor. And I'm so sorry that you don't have the support of the, the people in the party that you've been fighting for for so long, that they can't follow your lead, and that other national leaders are not leading like you, because that's what these Republican voters deserve. They're obviously, I know what it's like to have my feelings hurt when you lose, they need help. They need guidance. They need emotional support. They don't need to be have their feelings and their grievances exploited. And you're doing your job admirably. And I really do uh, appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, that's no one too. My fiance is calling, so I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks to both we'll of you. Take care. Bye. You too. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. A conversation from yesteryear between a Democrat and several Republicans. It did not involve conspiracy theories, alternative facts, outright lies, disinformation, or insanity being advocated by anyone involved people who differ mightily on the issues, having a rational, civil conversation about the state of our affairs. Hard to remember. A time when that was possible. But I've just proven that it is. And all of us can do that if we just keep on engaging with people whom, with whom we may not agree, but who are our fellow citizens. To be fair to my three guests, who I'm very grateful for coming on the show, I want to be clear they're not endorsing any of my stuff, I'm not endorsing any of their stuff beyond what we agreed on in the podcast. They are definitely Republicans. But they're classic Republican. They're old school Republican. They're a Mitt Romney or an Adam Kinzinger amid a flood amidst a sea of Louis Gohmert's and Ted Cruz's. I firmly believe that for the Republican Party to be saved We need to see 
Kelly Loeffler, Senator Perdue, defeated on Tuesday. I know that will not please my guests. But if the Republican Party does not suffer some catastrophic losses to convince people to support officials like Secretary of State Raffensperger, Deputy Secretary of State Fuchs, Voting Implementation Manager Sterling, the wing of the Republican Party, as Steve Schmidt noted in a recent Twitter thread, that does not respect democracy, that is simply pursuing power for power's sake without regard to the rule of law. I believe that they are going to destroy the Raffensburgers, Fuchs, and Sterlings of the party. If you want to see more Republicans like the people I spoke with today, you must repudiate Trump. You must repudiate these two awful Senate candidates in Georgia. Again, I'm speaking for myself, certainly not uh, my guests, okay? But I'm serious. This democracy cannot function, the House divided. We need two parties with, with at least with different ideas, but that operate with integrity, civility, and rationality. And we do not have that. Again, I want to thank my guests for presenting an alternative reality where we can envision national-level Republicans behaving with dignity, grace, and operating within reality. That's not Mitch McConnell. That's not the House Republican Caucus. That's not the majority of Republican senators. Mitt Romney, Adam Kinzinger, and people, Pat Toomey, others standing with them, are a small faction that has lost. And what we need to do is truly hope that with major defeats, instead of the party running towards people like Trump, Jim Jordan, like the Lofflers and Purdue's, Ted Cruz's, Louis Gohmert's. Instead of people like that, I really hope we will see people like the people I interviewed today rise to retake the party from the despicable, that the honorable can be returned to the Republican Party at a national level, and that they have received death threats for simply doing their job, and not just a few. It is disgusting, and we have, can have no room for this on the left at all. No matter how much smaller it is on the left and the right, we can have no room for this on the left either. But as I argued, and obviously, I'm a Democrat. The Republicans will disagree on, on a whole host of issues. We won't look at uh, Brian Kemp or the Bork nomination or Stacey Abrams' race the same way, but we can still respect the rule of law. We can still respect the Constitution. We can still respect each other. We can respect elections. We can respect their outcomes. None of that's happening at the national level with the Republican Party today. 
And again, I think I made my point. People I interviewed, I hope in some way, are the future of the party. I fear that they are not. There's a whole lot of people now basically saying what I wrote right after Trump's inauguration that fascism has crept in and taken over the Republican Party. There are Republicans who resist. There are Republicans who refuse to go um, long when push comes to shove. Uh, at least at this moment, at this hour, uh, go along with that. You heard three of them today. They are brave. They deserve our respect. They deserve to be safe. They deserve to be heard. In my own small way, I hope that I was able to give them platform to really go into detail on the work of democracy that they do in Georgia, how none of the accusations from the Trump supporters or the Trump administration, from Trump himself, from far-right media, how none of those accusations about the election being rigged or stolen or what have you have any merit. And I do hope that someday I can be talking to Perhaps Senator Raffensperger, or Senator Fuchs, or Senator Gabriel Sterling. Because that's what the Republican candidate needs candidate integrity, professionalism. And I have to joke about sports and politics and private love sports. Who also passionate to believe in what they believe, but are willing to play by the rules and respect the rule of law and the Constitution. Thank you so much to all of you for listening today. And again, may this new year truly be a happy new year, not a horror show.